If you would take your Bibles and turn to the first uh, book of first chapter of Ephesians, as we'll look today at verses uh, seven through ten. I had uh, J.C. read Isaiah fifty-three, which is an Old Testament passage that declares to us who the Redeemer is and how He went about redeeming us. And one reason for doing that is to just remind us that the redeeming work of God, the plan of redemption, was clearly declared in the Old Testament and is clearly declared in the New Testament. And as we'll see in just a moment, that we've been shown grace that we might understand the plan of redemption and who the Redeemer is. Think about that as we read this passage and as we work through this glorious truth. There is a Redeemer, it's Jesus, and in Him there is deliverance. Let us pray. Our Father, as we come to this, Your Word in Ephesians, we ask Your blessing to illuminate our hearts, our minds, that we might know even more the glories and the grace that is declared in and through Jesus, that we might ever bless you for uniting us to him wherein we have deliverance, we're redeemed, and we are forever your children. So bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us read, I will read for us, this passage, beginning with verse 7, Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You may be seated. The basic problem of mankind that, that redemption solves can be summarized in one word, bondage. You may have heard about the terrible heroin epidemic that is raging in Manchester, the largest city in the state of New Hampshire. As of September 23rd, 65 heroin deaths have taken place this year in that city. And there have been 540 emergency medical services overdose calls during that time period. One news report has called this a heroin apocalypse. And just to compound the problem that there is a great shortage of treatment facilities and programs that can come alongside these addicts and help them fight this bondage, working towards being delivered from it. And the sad news, the concerning news, is that addiction to heroin and addiction to a whole list of other things is not only something that is in Manchester, New Hampshire, 
but it's something that is a problem all over our country, and I would say all over our world. And as great as the problem of an addiction like being addicted to heroin is in our day, it's not the greatest problem. It's not the greatest bondage mankind faces. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, which we'll get to uh, sometime as we progress through the book of Ephesians, actually describes the ultimate, the core problem of bondage of mankind, and it's something that is a problem that we're born with. It's by nature. If you were to look just ahead at Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about mankind by nature being born dead in trespasses and sin, being sons of disobedience in bondage to the ruler of disobedience, uh, Satan, under his power. And then he also calls us, mankind by nature, children of wrath. That's the problem. And that's the problem that redemption addresses, this problem of bondage to sin, death, Satan, and misery, a life that leads to both physical and spiritual death. And there's only one solution to it, and that's redemption through Jesus Christ. So, so today, we'll be looking at deliverance through the Redeemer. If you look to page 5 on your sermon outline, you'll see the four points that we'll consider today. But let me just remind us uh, about the, the context of this passage. Uh, two weeks ago, as we looked at the first sermon on verses 3 through 14, we focused on that word blessed, blessing God, eulogizing God for this great work that he has done. And of course, the, the, the first blessing, the first reason to eulogize or bless God or to praise him was that before the foundation of the world's, world was created, he chose us in Christ Jesus. And, and so we, we explored the, the blessing of divine election uh, two weeks ago. And God chose us chose some sinners uh, to be holy and blameless, uh, to be predestined as sons and daughters, not because of anything in them, because the text is very clear that God chose us according to the counsel of his own will. He did not choose us because he foresaw anything in us. He chose us because he chose us. Now today we come to the second blessing that Paul deals with in this really long sentence, verses 3 through 14, and it's the blessing of redemption. So those, God, those whom God chose to be holy and blameless, to be predestined as sons and daughters, he also sovereignly planned the means to bring that about, and that's what we're dealing with today, the means of salvation, the means of redemption in Christ Jesus. And so think of it like this, that in eternity past, God chose us. That was our first sermon on this passage. And th today we're looking at the reality of what let's just call present time, that, that in human history, in space and time, Jesus came to redeem those whom God has elected. And Paul is dealing with past and present 
And he also is dealing with the future here in the book of Ephesians. Now today, this is a challenge to preach on this passage because there is so much, so many wonderful truths to cover. We could go in so many directions and explore so many grand theological and doctrinal principles here. It is, it is just full of wonderful things to contemplate. But my main purpose is this, is for you and for me, is to have us consider what does redemption mean to me? What difference does it make in my life? In verse 7, we're told there is a Redeemer. First point. God has provided the Redeemer. It's God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And redemption is in Him. It is by means of Him. And I want to just list several points as we consider the Redeemer. And the first point is this, that Jesus is the vicarious Redeemer. He is a Redeemer by way of substituting Himself uh, for me. Our redemption, in other words, is by another. The good news is God has not planned that each individual sinner would would go about redeeming himself. No, God does what man is unable to do, to deliver from bondage, to redeem. The Redeemer works for us, point one. Point two, under the Redeemer, Jesus is the exclusive means of redemption. It it is in Him, Paul says. It is in Him and in Him alone that there is redemption. It is not the case that we have to to wonder about who the Redeemer is. That there's no other one that would be a son of Adam that is the Redeemer. No, it's the second Adam that is the Redeemer and Him alone. And what this means is it's it's a worry-free situation is that we don't have to run around trying to to choose our own redeemer or wonder who the real redeemer is or try to figure out how we can somehow redeem ourselves even though we we really can't redemption is in him alone and thirdly Jesus is the sufficient redeemer Jesus came into human history at the incarnation for one purpose and that was to redeem the elect and to set them free all those who were chosen in eternity past will be redeemed and one passage that speaks to this is Galatians 4 4 through 7 but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. No longer a slave but a son. No longer in bondage but free. That's why Jesus came. And there's another thing about the Redeemer. He is the ever-present Redeemer. Yes, he came and broke forth into human history in in the incarnation and on the cross and those days following and even before the cross in his ministry where he fulfilled every aspect 
of the law perfectly, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again, all of that. He accomplished redemption for us. He ascended into heaven, which is saying the mission was accomplished. It, it attests to the fact that, that the Redeemer did everything necessary for the redemption of the elect, and he's still in heaven as the Redeemer of God's people. First John 1 speaks about the fact that he is our advocate before the Father. He is the ever-present Redeemer today. He is our Redeemer, our advocate who is before the Father. Paul says we have redemption and it's in Him. It is in a Redeemer and that is reason to bless God. But now let's look at what the Redeemer accomplished, which is redemption itself. The second point you'll find on your sermon outline. Verse 7 not only that, that Jesus is the Redeemer, redemption is in Him, but it speaks about that this redemption is by the riches of God's grace. And so let, let, let's look then at redemption from the standpoint of the riches of God's grace. And we want to look first at this, that redemption is about deliverance. It's the same concept, the New Testament understanding of redemption is the same understanding as the Old Testament concept of redemption. And we see this in Exodus, when the people of God who were in slavery, in bondage in, in Egypt, were redeemed. Remember that? And how were they redeemed? After the plagues that were brought upon Pharaoh and those against the people of God in Egypt. There was this last plague of the firstborn being killed. And what did God tell Moses to tell the Israelites to do? Take a lamb, slaughter it, apply the blood to the doorpost, and all who are under the blood will be protected. And then, after that plague was over, Pharaoh relented and let the people go, and they were redeemed from bondage under the blood and through the Red Sea and that blood that was applied to the doorpost foreshadows what we what is symbolized and represented in the cup that we will take in just a moment redemption is by the blood and deliverance comes by the shedding of blood and the application of blood so those under the blood will be freed. The work of redemption is also about satisfaction. Yes, satisfaction. Redemption is not just simply showing us the extent of God's love. Redemption is not just simply indicating the seriousness of sin so that we would be really all about confessing it. Redemption is not about paying off Satan so that God can have uh, the elect. These are all theories of the atonement that have been talked about throughout church history. And they're all insufficient to describe what redemption is. Redemption is about satisfaction 
satisfaction. That is satisfying God's justice. So man by nature is a child of wrath. Man by nature is under God's justice and subject to his wrath. And so redemption has to be about satisfying that justice so those under that penalty can go free. And Jesus is not only our vicarious redeemer, he's our vicarious sacrifice. He literally took our place on the cross to suffer the penalty for violating God's justice. And the work of redemption demands a blood sacrifice. We see that in the Old Testament, not only in the Exodus event, but also in the book of Leviticus and the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament. In verse 7, we find the text referencing that, that, that we are redeemed in Christ and through his blood. And that concept of through his blood really represents the whole of Jesus' atoning sacrifice, not just the spilling of the blood, but the giving of his body, all of his passion, his, his perfect righteousness, is active and passive obedience. All of that is embodied. This. Listen to Romans chapter three and verse twenty-five. Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, and atoning sacrifice by His blood, to be received. So we see then that this redemption, what is necessary, is the shedding of blood, in order for there to be redemption. And Jesus shed His blood. It's interesting that the Greek word that's translated here in the Greek word Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, translated to redeem, literally means a release affected by a payment of ransom. And so we see Jesus being our payment by the shedding of his blood, our, our ransom that we would be delivered from the penalty. And that payment perfectly and wholly satisfies God's justament. It's interesting that as we look at the Old Testament, we see the concept of, of atonement indicating to cover something. And we find this same principle in the New Testament being covered by this payment of blood. It's a, just an unbelievable reality that we are, in effect, covered by the blood of Christ, signifying payment in full, that our guilt is taken away. So when God looks at the sinner, what does he see? He sees the blood. And he says, my justice is satisfied. For that person. Think about that. Free from God's wrath, free from the penalty of our covenant breaking, the penalty we deserve, free from it forever. Why? Because we're under the blood, because we're covered by the blood, because there is redemption in His and through His blood. Listen to these, these truths. That Jesus' redemption is penal. That is, there had to be a death penalty to pay for 
violating God's justice. And listen to Paul in Galatians. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, hanged on a cross. Redemption is substitutionary in that Jesus put himself in our place, our rightful place on the cross to suffer the penalty for our sin. Listen to this from 1 Peter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Remember what J.C. read from Isaiah 53, verse 4, his wounds... Jesus was crushed for us, substitutionary. And thirdly, it's propitious. In other words, it's not just simply that our sin is blotted out, expiated, but it is also redemption. Uh, the blood averts God's wrath from us. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. And the redemption that Christ accomplished for us by the shedding of his blood is efficacious. It accomplishes what it was intended to accomplish, the redemption of the elect. Hebrews 10. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Once for all. No more animal sacrifice after animal sacrifice after animal sacrifice. A once-for-all, all-sufficient, efficacious sacrifice to redeem all the elect in all time from all of their sin to perfectly accomplish every single thing. In other words, when I look at this, it's not, not one drop of Jesus' blood is wasted. It accomplishes the will of the Father, and then redeeming of the elect. Your brother said, I just don't think we get it, really. If we really understood the power of, of just one molecule of Jesus' blood. <laughs> we really need to see the blessing. And we really need to see how much we need to bless God. For such a sacrifice. For sinners. He who had no sin. He who obeyed every covenant stipulation perfectly. He whose rightful place is at the right hand of the Father. Gave himself. For sinners like you and me. Through his blood, we have redemption. May we ever bless God for it. And the third point, reconciliation. Verse 7, that the result of redemption through his blood is forgiveness of our trespasses. And, and the Greek word trespass here is an interesting word because it, what, what, it, what it means is, or the Greek word that's translated trespass, so you're driving down the road and you swerve off and fall in a ditch. That's what the Greek word means. And so we've been put on the way to follow after God, the, the way of righteousness, and we go off in a ditch. Trespass, sin, violation of God. We rebel against God. 
And the result of that is broken relationship. That's what trespasses and sin really is. It's not hitting the mark. It's, it's swerving off the road, thinking we know better how to live our lives and disobeying God, rebelling against him. It's really interesting. As we look at, at Genesis chapter 3, we're reminded in the Garden of Eden that you know, the, the, the trespass of Adam, he really swerved off the road and, and disobeyed God, and we're suffering for it today, right? By nature, through the one man, sin came into the world, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 5. But what did God do? Forgiveness brings about reconciliation. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3, in the latter part of Genesis chapter 3, that God took an animal, first animal sacrifice in the Bible, and God slaughtered the animal, and he skinned the animal, and he covered Adam and Eve's nakedness, which indicated their guilt and shame because they were now sinners, because they had a broken relationship with God. And through that sacrifice and through that act of covering, the relation, forgiveness came about and the relationship was restored. Reconciliation. Right there in Genesis chapter 3. And we see Paul is telling us that reconciliation comes about through forgiveness that is a result of redemption in him through his blood that our sin is covered and paid for, and our relationship with God is reconciled. And look at the end of verse 10. It's not just about my relationship with God being reconciled through forgiveness by the shed blood of Christ, but the end of verse 10, it talks about the fact that all things are united or reconciled through the blood of Christ, in heaven and on earth. And one day we'll see that in the new heavens and the new earth when everything will be brought and made the way it remade in the way it was originally intended to be made. United to Christ. Total reconciliation. Now, I just want to go off on something here for just a moment. There's a bumper sticker. You ever read bumper stickers on car cars? All right, here, here's the bumper sticker I want to talk about. Christians aren't perfect. That is the sorriest, horrible, most horrible bumper sticker I think I've ever read. Now, if I've offended you, please forgive me. We've just talked about forgiveness. Just forgiven. Thirsty man who's about to die of thirst. Just a cup of water. A man who is having a heart attack and he literally is about to die. Just a defibrillator. A rebel who is banished from the kingdom. Just mercy from the king to be restored to the kingdom. A sinner who is reconciled to God. Just forgiven? 
If we are just forgiven, then it must be just old, boring grace, right? Just that old run-in-the-mill, everyday grace. That's not how Paul describes this forgiveness. Listen to him. Verses 7 and 8. According to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. We're not just forgiven. We are richly forgiven. We are abundantly forgiven. The forgiving grace of God is lavished upon us. May just never be used with grace or forgiveness. This, this morning, um, I'm just reminded of reading, maybe some of you do this, uh, the great preacher Spurgeon, his morning and evening devotionals. Have you, have you read that? Or do you read that? It's a great devotional work. There's a morning reading and an evening reading, you know, 365 days a year. It's really a great deal, by the way. And, of course, no one can say things or write things like Spurgeon. So this morning I'm sitting here you know, as I'm kind of thinking through this, this sermon and, and, and I'm reading uh, Spurgeon's morning devotion. <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, well, I should have believed it because God's sovereign and, and I'm not. Um, Spurgeon basically was saying, all right, you know, believers kind of go through a, a period of, of, of spiritual dryness or, or de- de- depression, and he, he described this as being in a low, sad state of feeling. Have, have you ever been in a low, sad state of feeling before? Well, according to Spurgeon, that, that's something that, that, that he experienced and something that I have experienced. It's, it's, it's being depressed, it's being spiritually dry, it's being the, the, the malaise that, that comes up. About us, not even Jesus looks all that great, and maybe it is just forgiveness or just grace. You know, we kind of get in that funk. It's what I call it. Now, Spurgeon would never say that, but that's what I have. What I call it. And then he says this: It is not the law, but the gospel, which saves the seeking soul at first. See, I think Paul really is speaking to those that that redemption where someone for the first time sees their sin in need of a redeemer and they flee to Christ. But then Spurgeon goes on to say, and it is not a legal bondage, but gospel liberty, which can restore the fainting believer afterwards. I needed to hear that. Redemption is not just about the lost sinner coming to saving faith. Hallelujah and praise God. Reason to celebrate. But it's about people like you and me that are fainting believers, that are in a low state, who maybe are struggling with remembering the riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus that have been lavished upon us in being redeemed. And it's not not the law that gets us out of that. No, it's the gospel. It's being reminded once again of the riches of grace lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. 
So this business Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 1 about redemption is as true for the, the one coming to Christ the first time and for those of us who need to keep coming to Christ time and time again, being reminded of how great a redemption we enjoy and have by God's grace. Oh, it's not just forgiven. It is being forgiven. That's our life and our hope and our joy. Well, the last thing I want to talk about today is revelation. The first point on your fourth point in the sermon outline. I'm going to be very brief here. But basically, what I wanted to say here, I'll summarize it, is this. This glorious plan of redemption that's for the one just now coming to Christ and for those who have been with Christ a long time and are faint-hearted is hidden from those who do not have the spiritual ability to see. There are many people in the world today that, that would hear or read what we're talking about and have no clues what it means. It's a secret. It's a mystery. But God has appointed a time that his elect where the blinders will be taken off and they will be able to understand the simple, good old-timey gospel message that we find right here in passages like Ephesians chapter 1. And my point is, dear brothers and sisters, let us not forget how blessed we are to be able to know the mystery. And what is the mystery? It's Jesus. In Him is redemption through His blood. And we've been given the eyes and the heart to see what a glorious redemption we have. By God's grace, we're able to declare with the hymn writer from our heart and praise and adoration and thanksgiving and joy, what can wash away my sin? We know the answer. What is it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? We know the answer. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other font I'll know. What's the answer? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. We know what the hymn writer means. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy. A child and forever I am. There is, re there is a redeemer. And there is redemption through his blood for forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's all been revealed to you and me so we can sing about it and speak about it and rejoice in it and shout it from the mountaintops. 
that there is redemption in none other but the Redeemer, Christ Jesus. Think with me for just a moment about, about just a, an Ephesian brother or sister in the day that this was written. As they are trying to be a faithful saint like Paul talks about, as they are trying to do the right thing, living in that very, very pagan and difficult city, Ephesus, and they're dealing with their own sin, they feel like a failure, they feel laden with guilt and depression, they're in a funk, and they're, they're getting opposition from their family, they're getting opposition from their employer, they're getting opposition from the government, they're getting opposition from all the pagan, idolatrous, religious leaders of the day trying to persuade them not to follow after this Jesus. They feel in bondage, they feel in bondage to the city, they feel in bondage to their family, they feel in bondage to their own struggle with sin. Where is the hope? And then the Apostle Paul gives them these words of freedom and liberation from bondage in Christ Jesus. What do you think our brother or sister in Ephesus in the first century might, how, they, how might they have responded to such good news? Man, they'd have been overjoyed. They would have celebrated. They would have blessed God. They would have run to Jesus And bless them for those wounds that brought their healing. Fire station bell went off and an urgent call came in that an old historic home was going up in flames. And the firemen responded. One of the firemen, when they got there, the three-story structure was fully engulfed. And one of the firemen went down an alley on the side, and he looked up, third story window, there was a young girl who was screaming for help. There was no time to wait for other firemen, there was no time to wait for a ladder to come. And the firemen saw an iron, old cast iron uh, drain or um, water spout, you know, from the gutter system. And so he just simply threw off his gloves and began to climb up and he finally reached the little girl he crawled in took her in his arms and made his way out as the flames were just blazing engulfing the home she was the only survivor all the rest of her family perished in the fire this little girl had no family left there was no one to take her in and so several days after this, the city was just in a, they were really concerned about this little girl. And so they all met and the judge was there presiding over a meeting to try to figure out what to do with this little girl who was an orphan, no place to go. And there were good-hearted people all across the town who offered to take her in, young, old. But the little girl just sat there with an absolute bewildered look on her face. And the judge was perplexed. What do I do? There was a man standing in the back of the meeting hall. And all he did was just simply do this. 
And he caught the eye of the little girl. And she looked up. And she jumped out of her seat. And she ran down the aisle and embraced the man with the palms of his hand visible to all. The fireman with scarred hands because of the red hot water spout that he climbed to save the little girl. She saw the wounds. And nothing could keep her from him. Do you see the wounds of your Redeemer? Bless him and run to him. Be forgiven. Be reconciled. Be free. Father in heaven, so work in us and grant us faith that we would flee to the Redeemer who has done all for us that we would be free from the bondage of sin, death Satan and misery and we pray this in Jesus name Amen